Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan. This week we discuss a film on Hulu about Amazon. Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan, a Marvel podcast where we try to figure out just who and what is going on in this cinematic universe. My name is Tyler Borland, and with me this week is Caleb S. Bunn. What? Who let him in? Who let him in? What? Oh, wait. Wait, we have a a guest. Someone hacked our Discord, Caleb. Oh, no. What are we going to do, Tyler? I have a question. Why is your podcast called Why Is with Ty and Dan if Caleb is the host, as always? There are some questions. You have to leave some questions open to keep people listening. Yeah, because eventually at the at the end of the podcast life, we'll answer that question now. okay. well, whatever. I don't I don't even care. (laughs) Don't even care. (laughs) Uh, So uh, Caleb is back. Our guest. I'm not the guest. (laughs) It's Caleb. Um, Now, Caleb, we do have a question for you from last week. But we're going to hold on to it for when we talk about the Spider-Man review next week. So instead, we're going to do what we did with our other returning guest and ask you what you thought of the movie you were on to cover. You were previously on here to cover Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, yeah, I still like it. The for Black Widow. Well, the prep for Black <laughs> Widow. So we're going to ask you very quickly, what were your thoughts on Black Widow? And then we'll move into our actual episode. I liked Black Widow more than I thought I would. Um because I, I, I've never really been too bought into her character outside of Winter Soldier, and I'm not the biggest ScarJo fan, but I feel like Kate Shortland did a good job of um, bringing in kind of this old Roger Moore Bond style of action, uh, which helped differentiate the film. And I really like Florence Pugh. I feel like her moving forward in the Black Widow role is uh, something that is going to get me super uh, more invested in that character than I previously was. Did you listen to our last news episode? Uh, if not, you're behind. I did. Okay. But I, I don't what, remember. What do you think of my pitch for a, the Black Widow sequel being titled Black Widow and Hawkeye and it being Florence Pugh and Haley Steinfeld? There's no proof of this movie happening, but I, I, I want to know what your thought is on that pitch. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. Um, I would want to save whether I'm excited for that or not after Hawkeye because I don't know how Haley Steinfeld will be but I'm I have faith that she'll be a good Kate Bishop and if they want to put those two characters together I feel like that'd work out pretty well all right I agree because it's my pitch Uh, (laughs) all right so now that we got the MCU content out of the way Tyler give us the spoiler for this week (laughs) all right from this point on, we will be discussing uh, the films of Chloe Zhao, including Songs My Brothers Taught Me, The Writer, and Nomadland. Um, spoilers, obviously, and possible spoilers for future productions. We, uh, we do not claim to have knowledge. We don't have any spoilers for Songs My Sisters Taught Me, no spoilers for The Riders, <laughs> and absolutely no spoilers for Nomad World. Uh, so. Nomad World is my favorite extension of Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a Disney movie, so they, they need to make a whole park for Fox Searchlight. I would go to a West Anderson land. Like, that, that sounds like a fun time to me. Um, anyway, we want to just. It would be fun. What? 
it would be fun but then like at the end of like the grand budapest roller coaster or whatever just something incredibly sad would happen and you'd leave the park feeling very melancholic i think that's every wizard <laughs> in the movie or any that would have to just be the place like maybe the melancholy is just uh, you go there you expect it to be nice and quaint and then you get a bill for like six hundred dollars for like a pastry and you go oh, and that's that's it and <laughs> and, it, and it's got to be like a subpar pastry too <laughs> yeah but it will look really good it has to look yeah it was anderson it has to look gorgeous um that's the most symmetrical pastry you're ever gonna find <laughs> that's what you're paying for is the symmetry anyway uh we're not gonna address any leaks of eternals uh if our speculations align or other movies but i assume eternals would be the only one that would come up um uh, our speculations align it's purely coincidence so let's talk about the films of yeah. Chloe Zhao. so We'll first give our general thoughts on the director. Um, Tyler, what did what did you think of Chloe? Okay, so art films aren't necessarily my first like uh, film option to watch, um, and I don't necessarily know if I should classify Nomadland as an art film. Um, but her direction makes me want to journey that way more, more towards like independent films. Um, Zhao picks very precise and unique shots that stick with the audience throughout. And I've even seen this with the Eternals trailers. Um, I'm specific, uh, specifically thinking of the shot in the Eternals trailer where there are five of the Eternals. Um, they're up on a hilltop and you know there's like uh we get some lens lens flare i believe from the sun and one of the eternals is uh slowly levitating downward um to meet you know to stand with the other four eternals and it's just like iconic shots like that um that i that i'm really interested in seeing what she does um in the mcu um so yeah i'm excited for her entry into the mcu and i hope she's been allowed to keep a good amount of oversight uh i know that nomadland is that, that's her baby she you know had her hand on a ton of stuff with with that film and uh and i think like it's it's a it's a passion project for her and that's obvious in what what the end product is and i'm interested in seeing what the eternals is because from what i know uh we would not necessarily be getting an eternals film without the push from Zhao. yeah um i do want to comment on one thing because you, you said you weren't sure i would definitely say um having rewatched it um because initially when it came out i was kind of like i didn't really like nomadland i thought it was okay i thought it was okay but now i really like it on this rewatch i just did um I would say it's pretty art film, especially for a movie that actually like won awards. Like I was, I said this off knife earlier is I don't think it would necessarily be nominated in any year that isn't 2020 because obviously there weren't the same type of movies being pushed. Uh, and I, I think I've mentioned this actually on this podcast before very briefly when we talked about, can you ever forgive me is what usually happens with awards is there's all these studios, you know, that have a movie, a few movies to push and they eventually choose their best horse but last year, one of the biggest ones, which is Searchlight, which is now owned by Disney, but they were big before they were bought by Disney. Nomadland was really their only horse to push. So that's part. Like I don't. I think in a normal year, they have a different movie that they push more. You know. Um, Danny, Danny, do you know if Nomadland was in production during COVID? No. Uh, 
Okay. She had shot it before she went to end Eternals. Uh, or maybe, I'm not sure. She might have shot it before Eternals with the intent to edit it after Eternals. I just remember that it was supposed to come out initially, well, pretty obvious, because Eternals was supposed to come out in November 2020. Uh, it was supposed to come out after Eternals. And I think it was attempt maybe for summer 2021 without COVID. But when Eternals got pushed back a whole year, she was like, can I go finish Nomadland then first? And our boy Kevin was just like, and by our boy Kevin, I mean Feech, not Lao. Uh, <laughs> he, he was like, yeah, sure, whatever, like, go ahead. Um, which ultimately I think turns out well for him because now he can market his movie as from Academy Award winner, you know? So Yeah, it, it seems like the stars were really aligning for Zhao. Yeah. Um, and sets her up to be in a really good place moving forward. Yeah, even if Eternals doesn't do well, even with COVID, um, I think she'll have... I'll put it this way about her. is like, let's say Eternals, which I hope it's not, is like a huge bomb. Everyone hates it. And it doesn't make money. And Kevin's like, yeah, we can't really do another one of these. Everyone would be happy. Every indie studio in the world would be happy to have her on board to direct something for $20 million. You know what I mean? And like, considering like No Man Land's like her most expensive movie, I don't think that's like a bad thing for her if that was to happen. I wouldn't want it to happen, but if it did, I don't, I think she'd be fine. You know what I mean? Yeah, either Eternals is a success and she can operate in both like sides of the film industry or it's a failure and she can go back to making great indie films. Yeah. Like I don't think there's a I don't think there is a part in this where it would ruin her career. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Mm. I, I yeah. But anyway, my general thoughts are uh well, I, I wrote down a joke, which I'll say at the end of this, but um I, as I said, I didn't really like Nomad... Okay, I gave it a B. I gave Nomadland a B when I saw it in theaters, which to me, considering all the hype for that movie, that was, like, a letdown to me. Because everyone's like, this is incredible. This is one of the best movies in years. Um, and I was kind of... Well, okay, not in years, but of COVID. And I was kind of like, yeah, I've seen better. Uh, but rewatching it made me like it more. But moreover, the writer, I was like, oh, okay, this is why people really like Chloe Zhao. Um, I think she's a very interesting filmmaker. I would like to see a movie like The Writer in theaters where I can't be distracted by my phone uh, and kind of really fully immerse in it. Because I remember when I saw Nomadland in theaters, I don't know why, I just wasn't fully into it. Um, but yeah. Um, but my general thought joke is, how did Mank beat Nomadland for best cinematography? That doesn't make any sense to me. And I like Mank more than most people do. I gave it a B plus. <laughs> most that's higher than most people I know what they gave Mank. But That's on par with Nomad Land first time around. It's actually higher. I gave Nomad Land just a B. I gave Mank a B plus. I remember my my list of the Oscar rank, the only one below Nomad Land was Trial of Chicago 7 when I put it up right before the Oscars. Um But now I think Nomad Land's better. Um but yeah but you Mr. Caleb why did we invite you on <laughs> I think Chloe Zhao is one of the most interesting directors working today um, mainly because of her dedication to preserving elements of reality in her films she has worked with um, primarily uh, real life subjects and having them recreate uh, parts of their lives to make semi-biographical movies even in Nomadland, where she is working with a fairly 
well-known and regarded actress, she's surrounding Frances McDormand with these characters playing fictionalized versions of themselves. And David Strayhorn. <laughs> Sorry, it's the, and David Strayhorn. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But what were you um, saying? Sorry. But even even with the camera and the editing, she makes her movies like a documentary. Um, and from like how the camera is moving to the camera she is using. Um, and she also has a dedication to filming in like real places, like lived in places that are indicative of what these locations are and what they mean to the characters. All of this makes it very confusing why she is moving to blockbusters. <laughs> I don't think it makes any sense, but I am so excited because if she was able to talk her way into an MCU film, then I feel like she has good reason to be there. Yeah, I, I do want to say before we start digging in that I think now would be a great time to bring up the the one turtle story we'll bring up here, which is the... To me, I still think this is so funny, which is when Kevin Feige said... She showed me this shot of a beach with the sun, and I was, I didn't, she, I was like, did you do a CGI? She's like, no, it's in camera. And it's like, the shot on the beach is the trailer, which very obviously is not CGI. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, what, did, did, is he unaware that people shoot, like, on location? Like, is he unaware? <laughs> we love you, Kevin, but what? Like, also, I, I remember my takeaway being like, so why did you hire her then if you didn't know her movies looked like that? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, we we also had that same question about uh, the hiring of Kate Shortland yeah. after watching Berlin Syndrome. But yeah. at least that one has the excuse of Scarlett Johansson was the one who brought her in. That's true. This is yeah. Chloe Zhao came to the studio, pitched Eternal, and he's like, Hey, looks like the writer has good reviews. Sure, why not? <laughs> like yeah. the closest, the closest equivalent so far in MCU history is the intern who wrote Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, yeah, but even then, like Guardians of the Galaxy, then got handed over to a director who had had you know previous success. So I think this is such a weird shot in the dark for Marvel to make, and kind of proves that while they are an extremely safe studio they are still willing to make have weirder choices, which is exciting to someone like me. Yeah, I 100% agree. Sorry, I was just looking up the actual writer of how Guardian Scout Cohen to make sure she was, in fact, an intern. And she was. She was. I just want to be like, let's make sure we're not disparaging. But you're right. You're right. Um, all right. Well, let's dig into the movie. So I, I did. We talked about like shooting on location. Um, and, uh, in, there was a, it says during a recent discussion with E.T., Salma Hayek spoke about how Eternals differs from its predecessors in the MCU. Um, it says Eternals will have a much different feel than other Marvel films because it is shot using real locations, according to Hayek. Uh, so I wonder, like, I, I definitely think that add, that's going to add to the you know, to the film rather than like uh, Avengers final battle Avengers Endgame, you know, well, uh, quite a bit of Avengers Endgame, which is like not discounting in Endgame, but it's still like a lot of that was pulled off in a studio because, you know, that it required that. So I'm uh, yeah, I just I just uh, location is also like going back to 
to my theater roots, uh, location is also a character in in your production. So I'm wondering how much like see after seeing Nomadland, I'm wondering like how Zhao will use the location, you know, as a character in in Eternals. Yeah, will it be will it be like the the actual real world place and the Eternals just happen to be there? Or is she going to shoot somewhere and then make it a fictional place? It's honestly, she could go anywhere with it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But before we look forward to Eternals, we have to dig into the three movies we watched. And by we, I mean me and Caleb. But it's okay, Tyler, because you did watch her most famous film, Nomadland, which obviously, even though people will say the writer is her breakout film, the writer win best picture. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Just saying. I love the writer. But but the first film we saw, me and Caleb watched, was Songs My Brother Taught Me. Brothers Taught Me. I kept mixing that up when I, I was talking about the movie before people. It's like, it's Songs My Brother Taught Me, but it's brothers. Because she actually does have a lot of brothers, the main character of this movie. Um, well, Caleb, yeah. Hey, Caleb, do you want to start? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is such a strong debut. Um, there are some rough patches, but her style uh, with that kind of commitment to reality really shines through. She made this as part of the um, Sundance Institute. Um, and then, of course, it went on to do fairly well at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, and it went to cons, too. Yeah, and cons. For the listeners, cons is a pretty yeah. big deal, too. Tyler's just nodding sentences. No, I'm kidding, Tyler. <laughs> um, but I don't know exactly why she ended up there or why she ended up um, from there filming at Pine Ridge where she filmed her first two movies. But I'm really grateful she did because it was both of these movies are the perfect vehicles for her to show her empathy as a filmmaker, which I think is her strongest suit. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think... Songs My Brothers Taught Me. To me, it's a solid debut. I don't think it's particularly, like, amazing or strong. I'm surprised, honestly, it played at cons a bit. Um, my issue with it is, is that, unlike the writer in No Bad Land, I think it's a little sprawling in the sense in that it kind of switches off who's the main character a lot. Uh, and I think there's no real focus on what it's which relationship it wants to be about. And it's obvious that the strongest relationship in the film is um, uh, the brother and the sister, the main brother and the sister. But a lot of the movie doesn't really care about that, uh, in my opinion. So it's almost yeah, it's almost like the movie is more telling just the story of this reservation and the people in it, because it will go off on tangents about this character and this character. And it all relates that back to how they're those characters are interacting with our two leads. Um, but I, it definitely doesn't feel as tight as her films would become. Now, uh, I do want to play a quick game with Tyler before we continue talking about it. Now, Tyler, this movie features a needle drop of a very, very <laughs> popular song from the early 2010s. Now, mm-hmm. the hints will be is that it was a big meme to say that this was by a guy who really had something to say. Like, the artist is someone who really had something to say. If you can't guess, I'll give you the artist. But I want you to try to guess off of just that first. 
early, you said early 2010s? Yes. It's got a okay. very prominent needle drop in it twice. Because I, I didn't have social media until like late you 2012. You would have heard the song. The song was very I popular. Have... Yes, the song was very, okay. very popular. It was, it was kind of like a... It was kind of like a comedic one-hit wonder, but then the person went on to have more hits. Yeah. It's not what does the fox say, it's right? It's not that, and it's not Gangnam Style. Okay. And, okay, because those were the two that I was yeah, thinking I, of. I want to knock those out, because I know... I, Caleb is right, but I know that that's where you're leading, so I'll give you one more guess. Where, who who the is the... Oh, okay. One more um, guess before I tell you the artist. God, that, that was like over ten years ago. All right. Almost 10 years I'm ago. I'm pretty sure yeah. if I tell you it, you're going to know the song, but it's Macklemore. It's Macklemore's song. Can we go thrift shopping? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, used to, I used to have that album. That that was one of my jams. Yeah. It was just it really weird twice to see. In the movie. It was really weird to see yeah. like a serious drama. Just to see these teenagers yeah. jamming out the thrift shop twice. It's not that it's, it was once and be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But then it happens again. I'm like... Is this like a motif? It's like it's thrift shop, the motif of this film. Which it could be because uh, Macklemore has a lot of the crit- critics who call him like appropriating. And maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe Chloe knows. I Maybe she just wanted to put in thrift shop because she thought it was funny. I think it's more likely that. <laughs> I think. I think, I think uh, she only had a limited amount of songs she could actually get the rights to. Well, that's yeah. what makes it so surprising that Thrift Shop is in it, though, because Thrift Shop was a big deal. <laughs> Compared to, like, the other songs in it, which I don't even remember, but Thrift Shop, I think that was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there, there were, like, there were at least two other songs off of that album that got radio play, but, yeah, Thrift Shop definitely was was the biggest one on there, but I I would have to lean more towards like what Caleb was saying in in that like Macklemore is I mean honestly if she if if you talk to a like a, a budding artist and you're like hey I'll feature your song in my in my film not only once but twice and they're like okay yeah sure like maybe this was before maybe she got it before it got big radio no, play no, or maybe it no, got the radio song dropped in 20 it had been out this, for a while this movie came out in 2015 the song dropped in oh, 2012. okay yeah yeah, yeah. the yeah. song was a big deal already the song is the song plays twice at the beginning of the movie and it kind of represents the connection between this brother and sister the rest of the mm. movie is kind of them being separated like emotionally from each other and then they come back at yeah. the end but they don't bring thrift shop hey, back at the up. end I would have cheered <laughs> I would have been in my library like, <laughs> they would have been rule there three been, there should have been yeah, a exactly, slow piano three. ballad version over the credits why wasn't the Eternals trailer set to a slow <laughs> slow ballad <laughs> of thrift shop <laughs> uh, that, that seems to be the thing now um, with, slow ballad with, tra- with, like, with trailers especially uh, Nirvana Nirvana got it with with Black Widow, not with the trailer uh, necessarily, but then they also got it with the Batman trailer. Something in the way. And this is first Nirvana Dune song. Trailer, the first Dune trailer had a Pink Floyd song on it. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it did. And it it seems like the thing now is to take take like some synth or uh, just a filler track to go over, you know, to get your beats down, and then you place. A slowed down like popular song on top of that 
Do y'all remember the greatest Marvel trailer ever, Age of Ultron, with the slowed down version <laughs> of I've Got No Strings? Yeah. Oh, um, yes. I want to yeah. give, give some light credit to a trailer currently playing that, um, which is also like my current favorite trailer that plays, but uh, shout out to Lana Wachowski for having the, the actual version of White Rabbit play in the Matrix Resurrections trailer, not, not doing a slow cover. It's, it's a real <laughs> song. It's what we deserve. Um, but all right, but back to Sunset. We talked more about Matt more than we talked about the movie, which is okay. I wanted to include yeah. Tyler a little bit. Um, no, but this is a good movie. Um, it's, I don't know. The thing to me is like, it very clearly like has a plot, but compared to Nomadland and The Rider, which obviously have their slow moments, I feel like the, what's the word? The momentum of those films are more. It's like each scene very clearly moves forward like their characters, whereas this is kind of more observational, which is good in its own way. But I wasn't as into it as I was the upper two, personally. If you look at Zhao's work as a um, a spectrum between trying to stick to reality, uh, like trying to be objective and then trying to be subjective, this is definitely the closest to the objective end of that. Yeah. Um, where it feels like she is just walking along with these characters in their lives. I think you especially feel that um, there's a rodeo scene near the end of here, which obviously maybe was how she got interested in the writer. There's a school scene at the beginning. These feel like she just sat down in a room with people and just let them live their lives. Yeah. Um, but as as we'll see, as she moves more subjectively, her films also get a little bit tighter and easier to watch. Yeah. I would agree there. Um, well, we'll see if I agree there. When we talk about the writer, shall we move on to the writer? Absolutely. I love this movie. I, Danny, were you the one who told me to watch this? I, I don't remember. I think I think I saw that it was playing at the Bell Court by you. And if I did, if I was the one who told you, I was like, the writer's playing there and I want to see the writer and it's not playing in Carbondale and the closest place is St. Louis and I'm not driving to St. Louis to see it, but I've heard good things and I want to see it. And I've, I didn't see it till last night. Okay. So I'm really bad at when I say, cause okay. I think, I think Tyler knows this. I think the listeners might know this is that I don't really watch movies at home. So if I miss a movie in theaters, it's unlikely I'm going to see it for quite some time. Unless it ends up being in my end of year catch up, which if I remember right in 2018, I didn't really do much of because that was when Spider-Verse was playing its theaters and I wanted to see it like six or seven times. So <laughs> I was a little busy. Uh, but yeah, I never got around to the writer uh, until recently, but I might have been the one to tell you to see it. That The reason I invited Caleb on this episode was because I remember he saw the writer and he was like, this is incredible. You have to see it. And I was like. I mean, I'll try, but like, I don't know if I'll get to because of where I am right now, like in Carbondale. Somehow, yeah, somehow I went to see this at the Bell Court, and I think I was the only one in their small, like, black box theater uh, on their second floor. And I went into this movie without any knowledge of what it was. And at the beginning, I was like, oh, is this going to be kind of slow? Is this going to be kind of boring? But it sucked me in. And I think it's the perfect viewing experience, not knowing anything. Um, about a movie and then automatically being bought into it. But ever, like, once it sucked me in, it has just stayed on repeat in my head for, like, the past, you know, five years. Yeah, well, 
No, you're wrong, because the movie came out in 2018, but you do you. Uh, yeah, yeah. However long. <laughs> it's okay, 2020 that was the for, most passive-aggressive it's, 2020 counts for three years, Jeez. I guess, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, what was I going to say about the writer? Oh, wait, no, I wanted to clarify one thing for the listeners, which is... um. We talk about the music box a lot on here. Uh, the Bell Court is basically Nashville's music box, in case you don't know. Um, yeah, it's our local art house theater. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed with watching the writer uh, last night. And the reason I keep saying last night is because I started this very late for Danny to start a movie. I don't usually start a movie at like 9 p.m. And I was pretty, I was tired at points of it, which is why I actually would like to revisit it at some point. Because uh, at the end, I felt like tears starting to well but I didn't cry and I think it's just because I was half asleep also while I was still into it um it's definitely a movie and I'd say it's about all of her movies you need to if you're watching at home put your phone away because it's very tempting always to check your phone I feel like when you're watching a Chloe Zhao movie because you're like oh I'm not really missing anything but really you are because the immersion is kind of what makes I would say all three of these movies work the way they do uh that you're trapped there with the character somewhat uh, more so, I would, yeah, no, and all three of them, because I'd say none of them are in particularly, um, what's the word, enviable positions. You don't really, like, you don't go like, oh, I want to grow up and be Fern from Nomadland. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, as, I think that's, a, that's your Halloween costume, Fern from Nomadland. Uh, or Dave from Nomadland, rather. Um, I don't know. I could be Fern. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh. Tyler's just giving me the look. <laughs> the plot of the writer is that a um, a young uh, cowboy who is com- coming up as a rodeo star suffers an extreme injury um, and is not able to ride, uh, which is basically one his greatest passion, but two also how he's making money and providing for his family. So the movie is dealing with his loss there and with his decision over whether or not, despite, you know, his the health concerns, if he's going to go back into the rodeo circuit. Um, And it's once again based on the lead actor's real life and it's him reliving. You actually see the real footage of the accident that um, made him unable to ride. And it's just it's such a beautiful and compassionate story. I would say you're correct, obviously, but the more emotional aspect to me involving the real actors and stuff is the Lane Scott stuff, where you go to see footage of yeah. him before his accident, uh, which leaves him paralyzed somewhat, and he can't speak anymore. Uh, but you get to see footage of him like saying, like, oh, I'm Superman, stuff like that. It's like... It's really devastating, I'll be very honest, uh, and very emotional. And it's also something where it's... In a way, I'm just like, I can't believe these guys, <laughs> and a good, like, in a good sense, like, they agreed to let Chloe Zhao document their life in this way, or rather, in, in the case of um, Brady, is it? Brady's the lead, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the case of Brady, really reenact the stuff after his accident. It's just so, it's a, it's a incredible that they let her do it, and they got so emotionally, he got so emotionally vulnerable in it. Especially because this is a movie about toxic masculinity and a big part of Brady's problem is that he can't open up. So it's so heartwarming to see like the real life end of the story is that he was able to 
open up through the making of this film. And he was very involved in how the story was told. He had a lot of agency in that. So it's not like um, Zhao was exploiting his story. That said, I do know one thing, which is that in the movie, they say he can never ride again. But he did ride in this film. So clearly, he went against the advice of his doctors when he was making this movie. Yeah. Um, but even from just the beginning of this movie, uh, which shows beautiful footage of this horse getting ready to be released into the rodeo and then cuts to Brady returning home from the hospital, you can see the subjectivity like slowly start to creep more and more into Zhao's film. And I think this is the perfect uh, blending of the objective and the subjective, um, especially in moments where you get to see Brady just because he eventually gets a job breaking horses and like taming them. And whenever you see him interacting with a horse, it is so electric and charismatic because it's all his real life skill on display. Yeah. The horses in this movie, they're gorgeous. Like if you thought Nomadland was pretty, I think this movie is a, it's breathtaking. The The scenes where he rides the horses and the rider are gorgeous, but like they are <laughs> like it's yeah, well, they are. it's it's shot in the badlands yeah. of South Dakota, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah that's gorgeous country landscapes. out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there the visuals from this movie have stayed seared into my brain. Like I was very surprised I saw this once in theaters and then once for this podcast, and I was very surprised that I was like, oh, next he's going to do this. Not because I remembered the plot, but because I remembered what it looked like. Yeah, the imagery mm-hmm. is very striking. Um, and I also would want to say, before we move on, because we are trying to keep this a little short in case the listeners can't tell, um, I think the stuff of his dad and his sisters also very, very well. Because I mentioned um, Lane, I think mentioning his actual family, who is played by his actual family in the movie would be worth mentioning Um, because I think they both give really good performances too. And in particular, if this is all autobiographical, the idea of him reenacting this catharsis with his father that is in the film is kind of like, Oh my God, they should make a movie like about making the writer in a way, (laughs) or at least give me like a criterion DVD that gives me more bonus features than Q and a with Chloe Zhao and Brady. Cause I did, yeah. I I checked it out from the library because it's not streaming anywhere, which kind of sucks. Because it's her best film, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, uh, Tyler, of these two, if you could watch any of them, I would recommend The Rider. Even though I know Songs I've Ever Taught Me is on Hulu, which is easier. And if you want to watch Songs I've Ever Taught Me, go right ahead. I'm not gonna be like, no, yeah. don't. But like, The Rider was honestly, it took my breath away, especially because I watched it before I watched Nomadland, and remember my thought on Nomadland initially was just like, it's okay. Uh, so like, yeah. Um, do we want to say anything else about the writer? Nope. Okay. Oh, you want to say? I, well, oh, I will say from the first, from the first time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick me. I I have a question. Yeah. Um, here yes. in the front row. Yes. Um, is this a Mad Max movie? You know, the argument could be made that this is a Mad Max movie. It <laughs> would be a bad <laughs> argument. It would be an argument with no factual grounding. Caleb, we make those. We that's how I argue with Danny on this podcast. So what we're saying is, after Eternals, we want um, Chloe Zhao 
to direct the next mainline Mad Max film. And I say mainline because we all know George Miller is working on his Furiosa film. He can do that. Tom Hardy needs yeah, a paycheck, can though. Make, you know, like, oh, I was thinking I was thinking Guitar Man, but, you know. Oh, you want him yeah, to make Guitar true. Man? Okay, yeah, I'd be okay with that, too. Okay we it. don't want a Guitar Man prequel. We want a sequel. What does Guitar Man do after Fury Road? Yeah. I know her next film is technically a sci-fi version of Dracula, but I think that's just code for a Mad Max sequel. <laughs> that's true. A yeah. Mad Max sequel she's doing at a different studio than WB? Well, we just see how the legal works out. <laughs> it's all it's all it's all them hiding. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all it's all cover up, yeah. I know Mad Max is a WB film because it was in Space Jam too. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh so now we're gonna talk about the film, the reason we all came here. Uh Eternals. No. Uh Nomad Land. Which I don't know if you guys heard, it won a lot of awards last award season. It won, um, I was going to say, it won the Oscar, which is not saying anything at all. It won Best Director and Best Picture at the, oh, and Best Actress. It surprised won Best Actress. And I, as someone who follows the race, it was a surprise that Frances McDormand won Best Actress. Um, act, picture and Director, not so much, uh, but still cool, you know, still cool. Um, but yeah, um, Nomadland. Who cares about awards when you have us, though? We can give our opinions on it. Um, is my opinion listed first? It's not. Caleb, what's your opinion? Uh, I think Zhao smoothly transitions more and more into her uh, subjectivity. And also, because of that, this is her most accessible film. Um, I think that this is... There's a reason this took off in a way that the writer didn't. And that's, one, because it has star power, but two, because... I think it's mainly Francis McDormand. Go on, go on, sorry. Yeah, but I mean, that's all, that's all part of this being an accessible film, is that she made the transition from um, working with real people to working with an actress. But she also, because of that, the story, the cinematography, everything kind of becomes a little bit more smoothed out. Uh, there is, I think, valid criticism of her ignoring some of the realities of uh, poverty and, you know, like what it's like to work at an Amazon warehouse and stuff, especially with Amazon allowing her to film at their warehouse. Um, and I think that criticism is all valid, but I still think there is a lot of empathy on display here. Um, and she clearly cares about the, the nomads she is trying to depict. She did, by the way, I wanted to have this on record because I wasn't aware. I wasn't sure she shot this. In fall 2018, right before Eternals shot. Um, and Eternals production began. I'm curious now. Well, she was doing pre-production for Eternals while filming this yes, one. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, this shot in fall 2018. Eternals shot in um, July 2019. But, yeah. Uh, okay, so. This, this film did win. I counted up the awards. It won 33. They want to, yeah, Ooh. a lot. Yeah. Chloe basically, I, I, all the major awards, she won Best Director for. Maybe she didn't win Picture, but she always won Director at pretty much every major award last year. Because really, I don't want to disparage her because it sounds like I'm damning with Fink Craze, but one, she didn't have much competition. But two, also, compared to the other big Best Picture contenders last year, this is the one that's very clearly, it's the director's vision behind it the most, I would say. Um, I really can't think of another one of maybe Minari, but 
with Minari, I'd say it's more the screenplay than the right uh, the direction, really. Not that you guys have seen Minari. Most of my stuff isn't like a general thought. I kind of already said I think this played better for me here than it did when I was telling in theaters. Uh, gotcha. I have some jokes here. Jokes. They're actual points, but uh, I remember when this came out, everyone was talking about this is me being too into the awards punditry, but people were like, if this movie gets a nomination for acting besides Francis McDormand, it should be for Swanky. And I don't get that. I'm just going to say that right now because one, well, I actually don't, I don't like David Stratton much in this film still. I think he's, whereas Francis McDormand, I think really like gets into the naturalism. For some reason, he just stands out to me with his acting still. I, I, I can tell he's acting compared to Francis. Um, Mm. The other thing, but with Swanky, my 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 response to Swanky is also I think Linda May is a more interesting character. I I enjoy Linda May's presence more. If we have to rank the air quotes characters of Nomadland, or also yeah, to go back to David Strathairn, like why would I want to nominate him when Bob Wells is right there? Bob Wells, Santa Claus. Um, yeah. Where I'd push back against nominating any of these people is that I feel like it's doing it's almost disrespectful to the parts of their real life that they're acting out, especially Bob Wells. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm not, okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, the idea of the talk. Really? Let's Francis McDormand is the only one who should have ever been in consideration with this film. Like, yeah, that's all I mean. Like, basically. But swanky to me really confused me especially with linda may right that's like linda may is right there i think it's i think it's because you get payoff with swanky in a way you don't with linda may but the payoff has the the thing is though my counter you're right but if we're talking about performances the payoff has nothing to do with her performance the payoff is her sending a video and then having a funeral she's not really performing Mm -hmm. either of those um my other notes are uh most devastating moment is when Frank David Stratton breaks the plates and I go, no, the plates. Mm, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially because the reason it's like, it really, it's like a perfect uh, like example of like how people can just be stupid when they're trying to like get people to talk to them. Cause she outright says, no, please don't touch anything. And he immediately goes and picks it up and breaks the plates. <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> He's like, oops, sorry, I'll, I'll just go. And then he goes, you don't have to shout at me. I'm like, what What do you mean? You broke her plates. Like, and she told you not to touch anything. <laughs> right. Right. I think I think something that this uh, like with the plate moment, I think something that uh, this film did really well was like making it relatable for no matter who the audience is they can relate with something in this film and like with this with this awkward plate thing you know like there ha- there's got to be some moment in in at least one member in the audience in, in their life where they've tried to help someone and then the other person's like no i've got it and then they re either read into it too much or don't pick up on it and they try to help and they're helping too much you know and i i know i for one have done that have done that so uh so yeah i i i think that's that's something that uh Zhao does really well um 
with with me <laughs> saying is like this is the only film that I've seen of Jaws. Even the part where he's like, you don't have to shout. That makes so much sense from from where he's at because he does not understand the significance of those plates to her. That's something that only her and us as the audience understands, which makes that whole scene even like more sad and relatable. Yeah, I yeah. agree hundred percent. So Francis gives a nice little uh, two Shakespeare soliloquies through. No, I don't remember if she does the first one. Does she, or is it like her tutor says it to her? Anyway, Shakespeare pops up and the two D, two D, and I can't remember if she says it. And it's Macbeth. So this is foreshadowing for the upcoming tragedy of Macbeth. The second time it's not Macbeth, but the first time it is Macbeth. Uh, foreshadowing that Francis McDormand's going to be Lady Macbeth. Ooh. I also have one last thing I want to say, which I didn't put in my notes, but I want to bring it up because it's always, I remember when it came out and I was like, how is nobody talking about this? And sure enough, I watched it again. And I'm still like, how is nobody talking about this? Which is that, so Francis McDormand does play Fern and actually rather infamously at the Oscars when it won Best Picture, Chloe Zhao, she, Francis McDormand produced the film. So she also gets an Oscar for winning Best Picture because it goes to the producing team. Um, so Chloe gave her big speech about winning, but she'd already won for director. She was like, so now she goes, and now Fern, when introducing Francis and Francis McDormand was like, I'm Francis, not Fern. Uh, apparently there was some tension on set at points with, uh, uh, there's a lot of smoke, no, no actual things, but apparently at one point, uh, she was like, your Chloe's like, your own family should play your family in this movie. And Francis McDormand was like, no, like, no, that's not happening. I'm playing a character and there's some tension on set there. But the reason I bring this all up is that one of the first shots of Fern we get is she's checking into an RV and she's giving her driver's license. And you can very clearly see that the character's name is Frances McDormand. Uh, because it's her driver's, her actual driver's license that says Frances McDormand on it. And... She is referred to as Mrs. M. And what's the other thing she says? Yo, she spells out at the beginning of her last name, MCD. So she is playing Francis McDormand in this movie that's going by the nickname of Ferd. I just want to point that out because no one has ever talked about it in any discussion of this film. And I really just wanted to have it on the record that I'm not crazy. You see her driver's license in the film. You see. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a theory. A film theory. It's not a theory. You see the driver's license. It's there. <laughs> or, Danny, or she is, her name is Fern, but she stole the driver's license of one Francis McDormand. She stole the driver's license. That's a movie I want to see. She stole the driver's <laughs> license of suspiciously looking just like her famous two-time Academy Award winner, Frances McDormand. <laughs> That's the thing to me, too, is, like, I understand that she looked like her day cover in filming, but right. how, presuming she used her ID at all these places where they filmed, I'm sure some of these people were like, you look just like the actual Frances McDormand to her, you know? Um, and my guess is this one they found was the first woman that didn't recognize her. Uh, granted, Frances McDormand is kind of like an art house famous person. I don't think she's ever really hit the mainstream. But still, I wanted to just say the driver's license thing is always throwing me off here. I mean, the big the big other film that I can think of is 
I think like her other big main film would be Burn After Reading. And what about Fargo? Yeah, the one with uh, what about Fargo. I think Clooney's in oh, it. Brad Pitt. Fargo. Before that, yeah. oh Fargo, like, that's yeah, say, that's yeah, true. Fargo. Yeah, Fargo was is t- almost twenty five years old. Yeah, she doesn't look like that anymore. So like, really. she looks different than she did in Fargo, or even in yeah. Burn After Reading. Yeah, that's so, true. Like, yeah, I think three again, art house, but I think three billboards both made money in theaters and was like a popular DVD rental. Like, I don't know, like she was again. Very possible, though, these people don't recognize She's her. She's also in Transformers Dark of the Moon. <laughs> she is. I remember that. She <laughs> is, yeah. Like, oh, there's Frances McDormand for some reason. <laughs> rank, rank the... Is that the one with John Malkovich as well? We have to point out now, because oh, now that you mentioned know. it, that um, Frances McDormand won Best Actress, and Anthony Hopkins, star of Transformers The Last Night, won Best Actor this year, too. So, clearly, if you pop up with the Transformers franchise... The Academy is going to give you an Oscar over Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Just pointing that out here. Transformers. I mean, what's better, Transformers I mean, or Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Sure. Tell me, Tyler, what's better, Transformers or Ma Rainey's Ma, Black Bottom? Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I agree. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that even a question, Danny? <laughs> because Anthony Hopkins and Francis McDormand won Oscars. And they tangentially were in Transformers. <laughs> Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis have not been in Transformers films. Ergo, I can assume these are... It's not a coincidence. It can't be a coincidence. That's a film theory for you. That's an actual film theory for you. So if you're saying if you won an Oscar, you need to first go be in a Transformers film, no matter how successful it is yeah and then you can go as far as i know as far as i know uh daniel kalula started started in like a direct-to-video animated transformers movie i don't know could have happened anyway (laughs) why hasn't john totoro won his oscar yet (laughs) oh yeah uh, the cohen's ghosted him after he made a big klebowski sequel (laughs) that's why He's like, can I make a big Lebowski sequel? And they're like, well, we don't have the rights to stop you. And he's like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Tyler, what did you think of Nomadland? Okay, so uh, throughout this film, I found myself thinking, oh, that's the best shot of the film. Only for Zhao to surprise with yet another impressive shot. Um, I spent the first half of this film attempting to figure out what the theme or meaning of the film was, and one line uh, gave that to me. It is, I had to pull up the quotes. So it's from Bob, and it's it says, One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. You know, I've met hundreds of people out here, and I don't ever say a final goodbye. I always just say, I'll see you down the road, and I do. And whether it's a month or a year or sometimes years, I see them again. And that line, that line sat with me, and I it resonated, and I was like, you know, this really, this, this film is a fantastic synopsis of life itself which is what bob is saying is that like i never say goodbye like a final goodbye to these people that i truly don't know if i'm going to meet them again um and uh 
like it's basically I can't tell the future um and I'm glad for the moments I had with them in the past and you know and I'm taking the pa- the present for what it is um and uh it's that blending of the past and present to give the future its form and it's all through it like a very specific uh uh lens and uh it it just sat with me as i'm like this is really at least for me i was like this this is a film that's like it's stripping down like what's important in like what are the important things in in life and i'm i'm not saying like uh how uh danny i talked about uh the minimalism documentary you know before this is a different like what are the important things in life this is like a a different I don't want to say different take on that, but it's I'm talking about something something different here. Um, it's more like metaphysical, like what is life? You know, getting down to the very very bit of it, and um, and it, but it's through that very specific lens that uh, that Zhao brings to us with her very unique uh, filmmaking style, and I. Um, so yeah, even although an audience majority may not connect directly with uh, the characters, um, they can connect on a fundamental and emotional level um, on it, things that we share just overall. Um, so yeah, I think this film gives this audience something even greater than a plot fed directly to the audience, um, and that is messages offered for digestion which I think is a gift much greater. Yeah, I think this film, it's very correct to say, um, I think it's a very, for lack of a better term, I think it's a very meaty film. I think there's this movie saying a lot of different things about life, about how we function, mm-hmm. about society. Uh, <laughs> but it, I'm not even joking. It is about society. And like, what does it mean to like, yeah, uh, seclude yourself away from society, or to join a sub community within society, um, and the idea of rejoining, or like, really to me, one thing that stuck out to me on this watch is it's about, and I'd say it's actually about everyone. Uh, the other two Chloe movies too, um, Chloe movies <laughs> um, is a uh, it is a judgment. Or rather, the idea that there in all three of the movies I've seen, there are characters that definitely judge the main character, and the main character always is like, uh, "No, I'm fine." And like, they're, it's not like a movie where they're denying there's a problem. They're correct. I think Fern is fine. Like this lifestyle for her is what works for her with where she is emotionally. Yeah. I don't. What, Caleb? You you want to say something? You want <laughs> Well. <laughs> I, I agree there's nothing wrong with how she is living her life. Um, I don't think that's what the film is trying to criticize her for. But I think all the characters in all of Chloe's films have to overcome a oh, yeah. like a central loss. There is still a character and so I, arc in these films, I'd say. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Um, yeah, because Fern is very emotionally stunted at the beginning of this film. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So I want to clarify. So yes, at the beginning of the film, yeah, definitely. Once she joins the nomads, um, her family is still like, you're living in a van, uh, or people are still like, are you homeless? 
And she's like, no, I have a home and I'm not like, but I'm just houseless. That's before. That is before, to be clear. But once she finds the community, I and, you know, grows to know, really know Dave and to a lesser extent, Linda May and Swanky in the film. I'd say that her sister's still being like, come live with us. She's like, no, I don't want to. I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't have to, you know, like there's nothing wrong with what you're doing now. Yes, she does need some personal growth, but this is going to sound cheap, but like everyone does, like people are constantly growing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't think there's anything wrong with, and I, and this could go into the thing you mentioned that there are criticisms of this film about ignoring the reality of poverty and the fact that, Fern does have these other options and chooses not to take them. But I also think, I think that's a whole can of worms I don't really want to get into. And I also think the film itself is more about Fern as a person than it is about the overwhelming issue of poverty in the U S you know? Yeah. If I can, if I can recommend something that does go into that a little bit deeper and with a little bit more perspective than maybe we could bring to it, the podcast Linoleum Knife, when they did their review of uh, Nomadland, where the um, one of the hosts on there talked about how they perceive this film as someone who grew up in poverty, and I think I think they give a very interesting perspective and a fair one, where they're not downplaying the rest of the film, but they are saying this is something that Zhao could have worked on, especially since the film is so empathetic in other areas. But overall, I would agree with you, Danny. So I just looked up this podcast. This podcast has this podcast has five hundred and fifty-two episodes. How would I ever be able to catch up on it? Sorry, they've been going for a long time. Gee, that's better, long. Better get to listening, Danny. Like as we're recording, you may want to be listening. Their first episode cover is just so you guys know, one hundred and twenty-seven hours when it first released. So 2010, yep. it's been around since 2010, it looks like. Long podcast. Join us in uh, 20, 2031. <laughs> Join us in 2031. <laughs> uh, when we finally answer, why is? Why is, When we finally do our endgame is? episode with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, is there anything else we want to say about Nomadland? It's a good movie. It won Best Picture. Yeah. And it deserved it. Yeah, That's the I thing. Would... It's like a lot of times movie wins Best Picture and they don't deserve it. It won. And it deserved it. It's, it's not my favorite film of last year, but it is a worthy one. The best film rarely wins. But if it's a good one, I consider that a good year. You know? But were you going to yeah. do something else to say, Tyler? Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to I was going to say, like, I've I've got since. OK, so back when uh this was about five years ago yeah um five years ago is when i uh met my now wife um and we both uh the first night that we uh hung out um we both gave each other a list of movies that we need to see and on my list of recommendations i don't remember all of them but i know that there was interstellar inception and fight club um and yeah i know those were three three on there and now that list would be much different i know that i would have the green i'd probably have the green knight 
and I th- I would have Nomadland on on there as well. Well, um, along with the minimalism documentary. Can, can I but, say uh, what I think I said to you off mic last week, but I didn't say on podcast, which is uh, my list would include the Big Sick because there's a scene in the Big Sick where they discuss litmus test movies. And I think it'd be really funny to show it as a litmus test movie. And then when the scene pops up, it would just be very like, wait, what? Like, I'm sorry, I just wanted to have that. Because I don't think I said, I don't remember if I said that last week to you off mic or not. But it, that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the big sick. It's like, it would be a litmus test movie for me. Because they talk about that. Because <laughs> uh, they talk about litmus test movies. Yeah. But yeah, um, well, and a big a big meme going around right now is red flag movies, where if a guy is into this movie, you shouldn't date them. I feel like mm. having Nomadland on your list is like the opposite of a red flag. It's like go go go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't actually have like a red flag. My, <laughs> we should do a podcast on that <laughs> red flag movies. That sounds like that sounds like its own movie. Like maybe a maybe that's never mind. I'm not gonna say it. Time will make me cut the joke, so I'll move on. <laughs> on- <laughs> Honestly, like having like looking back, I'm like having Fight Club on there is that that should be a red flag. That is a right red flag. Away. <laughs> that's why I started chuckling a little bit when you said it. I was like, <laughs> yeah, and that's that's why. Like, I think I don't remember the other two. Oh, one of them was uh, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. That was that was another one. Oh, I just don't remember what you the have fifth seen movie was. Anderson movie. You're good. You're yeah. good people. You're good people. <laughs> You're good people. <laughs> so, so does that cancel out my red flag with Fight Club? Then, yeah, it does. It does. Okay. Okay. Mr. Fox is a good movie. Really great movie. That okay. I wouldn't expect on. Yeah, it is. A lot of people's lists. Um, yeah, it's a good good pick. To me, a red flag movie would be the greatest showman. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a red flag. <laughs> if I go, oh, I like musicals. I'm like, oh, I love the greatest showman. That's Big red flag movie. <laughs> it is. It is the biggest musical cinematic experience of your life. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Uh, so, do we need to move to predictions? Yeah, we can move on to predictions. All right, uh, Caleb. What do you have? Um, I think that there are three things that Zhao could bring to Eternals. One is the themes of loss that we talked about. In all three of her films, the characters are dealing with some form of loss, whether that's loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, or loss of, like, the ability to do something. Um, And I think those would be very interesting themes to bring into a superhero movie. I'm not sure you can do that with an ensemble movie, but we'll see. Um, The other one is her uh, strength of pacing, um, all of her films are very slow in their plots and are very deliberate in how they take their time, but they don't feel like it, especially Nomadland, which she did edit. Um, and I'm a little worried that she'll be kind of handicapped to do this because she is working with two editors on this project. One of them mm. is just kind of a stock, stable MCU editor. The other one is more interesting. They they work on like Paul Thomas Anderson films, so they're more in who edited the, is it the person who edited of, the writer because the writer wasn't edited by her no no it's um there are two people she hasn't worked with oh, yet. okay uh but it's I, the editor of there will be blood the thing that has to be concerned about the uh pacing for um 
Eternals is not Chloe. I mean, it is Chloe Zhao because obviously she chose where the movie ends. Presume, oh, you know what I mean. The edit. I presume she has some not final cut, but some level of influence on the editing. Uh, but I think Nomadland and the writer both feel like nice chunky movies, like a steak, as I sometimes say. Uh, and they're a hundred, like a hundred and seven minutes each. And uh, Eternals has been confirmed to be over two and a half hours long. So it's kind of yeah. like, I don't know how Chloe Zhao pacing works. It's kind of like, um, side note, I, uh, I one of my hot takes among the art house people is that I don't really like Portrait of a Lady on Fire because uh, I feel like it feels way too long for what it is. And it's two hours long. But I saw the director's new movie at a Chicago International Film Festival called Petite Maman. It's 72 minutes long. And my takeaway from it was like, I love that. That was great. Her pacing works perfectly for a 72 minute film. And I would say Chloe Zhao's pacing works perfectly for a 107 minute film. Um, that yeah. The idea of it being 150 minutes is kind of like, I'm not sure how that's going to work <laughs> personally. Well, but yeah. that's, that's the part where I, I am grateful she's working with editors that yeah. have had more experience with these kind of length of movies and these style of movies. I just mm. hope that it leans more into the editor who has edited like Boogie Nights and Brokeback Mountain than the guy who has edited Guardians of the Galaxy. Not that Guardians of the Galaxy is bad, but I want to see I want to see Chloe's style brought into this film. I'm curious yeah. if it will work yeah. like uh, Shang-Chi did, because Shang-Chi was edited by the guy who edited all of Destin Daniels' credits films, along with an editor, of course, who works with Marvel. So mm-hmm. that's that's the point I was going to make is that uh, like uh, Danny, we had talked about when we reviewed um, Shang-Chi that uh, Daniel Destin Cretton or Destin Daniel Cretton had um, you've got <laughs> I, I had it down. I remember Danny Chris called him DDC. The, yes, so we can DDC. Call him DDC. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a really cool uh, when, abbreviation. Anyway, DDC. <laughs> when uh, when uh, DDC uh, like when with the stuff that he knew wasn't necessarily like his strong points or that he wasn't as well versed in, he brought in people who did know how, you know, yeah. know how to how to work on that. And so I'm hoping that it's collaboration. Um, I'm hoping that like it's yeah, that the collaboration is is good here. And from like so. So, Danny, you said there's like a between the time difference between Nomadland and Eternals is how long did you say? Uh, Nomadland shot in fall of 2018. Then no, she, I mean like time run time run time. Oh, about um, about f- fifty minutes. It's about an hour. No, yeah. no, because uh, it's two thirty five with credits, I believe. Eternals or two thirty seven, somewhere around then with credits. Okay. Uh, so yeah, oh no, you're right. About fifty minutes. You're right. No, about fifty minutes. Yeah. So you're take right. take off about ten minutes for credits, and so that leaves us with about forty ish. Yeah, roughly, we'll roughly see. about forty-ish. We'll, that's a Marvel. That's a Marvel. Uh, big battle end, ending I'm, scene. I, I'll be very honest. Battle. I am not excited to see how Chloe Zhao acquits herself to the presumably third act CGI mess that I presume we're going to get. Uh, I'm not optimistic. There, I'm not. I'm, opti- hope, <laughs> I'm hopeful that we we don't necessarily like. It's something that I looking back, I had wanted from I want I wish 
I wish that, and maybe we'll get this in Armor Wars, I wish that Iron Man 2 was more of a court drama between Hammer, for between Justin Hammer and Tony Stark trying, and, uh, and the U.S. Uh, Congress trying to decide, like, who has, who has domain over the armor. Yeah. I'm just imagining John Favreau trying to direct a courtroom drama. <laughs> oh no, I don't want it. I, I did. I would not want it directed by Favreau. No, yeah, definitely but, not. Uh, but yeah, I just, I yeah, I think like something where the MCU slows down. I think know? the big what if to me with the MCU is if Iron Man was a huge hit, but Incredible Hulk like. And well, I guess it's too big a what if because Iron Man 2 came out before. But what if, um, in a way, the other movies bombed so bad, but Iron Man did well that they were forced to do something like with Aquaman's doing, where it's kind of just Aquaman Mm. is getting his own standalone movies now. Uh, I'd be curious to see like the world where Iron Man gets the complete standalone trilogy and see where that goes in the under Paramount. Um, But that's. Neither here or there. Uh, Caleb, you have one last prediction, I see. Yeah, well, this is less of a prediction and more of a, a plea. There is a actor who has appeared in all three of Chloe Zhao's films, and I love when directors have their good luck charm actors, and that's Cat Clifford. He's only really had a major role in The Rider. He is in, like, a total of two shots of Nomadland, and I don't even remember what he does in songs. But he's not on the cast list of Eternals, and I want to know why. There is, like, you can't just put him in one tiny little scene just to make my heart happy. Come on, Chloe. Do you know, though, who is on the cast of list of Eternals that I noticed involving past collaborators? Is um the actor actress who played Jashan, who was one of the leads of songs my brothers taught me, is in Eternals, apparently. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so... Yeah, uh, we'll see her again. Even though I looked at her credits, she has only one of her film that isn't done by Chloe Zhao. Um, my thing is, my things are, uh, I wanted to say something about Shang-Chi for a second. Because here's the thing. With Chloe, the difference between Chloe and Dustin Daniel Credit to me, is, there's a very big one, is that I think Dustin Daniel Credit, I, I think short term, I like short term 12 more than any movie we discussed today, personally. Uh, and that's no no knock on Chloe Zhao. It's just types of movies that resonate with me. Um, that said, I would say that comparing Short Term 12 to Nomadland, I think the direction on Nomadland sticks out so much more. It's more of a clear, like, auteur style if we want to go into that train of thought. And that, to me, makes it very interesting because Marvel has... <laughs> Many people have discussed, not normally on Marvel podcasts because it's a little too negative for the algorithm, uh, is not very auteur friendly in a sense. I would say Black Panther, the script feels like a Ryan Coogler movie, but the direction doesn't really feel like Creed or Fruitvale to me. The only director who really came into Marvel with a distinctive vision and came out with it still intact is Taika, I'd say. Um, maybe Kenny, maybe Kenny Branagh, but that was a different time in the early days when the directors all did put a stamp on it. Um, 
And the thing to me is that... Yeah, from I would the, say all the Phase 1 movies have the director's stamp. Yeah, that's what's kind of like... Kenneth yeah. Branagh, kind of, but I also don't really think it's fair to count those Phase 1 movies. Because they're also... You know, they were at Paramount at the time, which is a very different uh, studio culture than Disney. <laughs> we're a Marvel podcast, and I'm like, I'm a little iffy uh, talking about auteur issues at Marvel, but I am totally fine with bagging on Bob Chapek at any possible chance I can get. <laughs> um, <laughs> ESPN will have sports betting. Uh, Luca is, uh, yeah, <laughs> anything about Luca. Anything. <laughs> Uh, but the Buzz Lightyear movie will get a live <laughs> a bit massive release. Uh, anyway, uh, so to me, I think Dustin Daniel Credin was able to go into Shang-Chi and keep his directorial style intact because he doesn't really have one. Uh, <laughs> so I'm curious what it'll be for Chloe Zhao. Because to me, the trailers, it does visually look like a Chloe Zhao movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm curious how that will play into the filmmaking. Now, this said, predictions. This is more like what I'm most anticipated for with Eternals, is that I'm excited to see her detailed looks at the Eternals humans' covers. And by that I mean, like, I presume these Eternals don't just walk around saying, oh, my God, like, they, they, I assume they all have human covers. Um, and with the cast being as diverse as it is, means we're going to get some of Chloe Zhao's intimate looks at humanity before they assemble. I assume we're going to see where they all are in their lives beforehand. And I'm curious to see how she depicts all of them. In particular, I'm very interested to see how she tackles Makari, who is the character who's being played by Lauren Ridloff, which will be the MCU's first deaf superhero. Because um, I think Chloe Zhao doing a movie about the deaf community in and of itself sounds like something I would want to watch. Um, as a big fan of Sound of Metal, Coda, and all the recent films that have been tackling that. Uh, I think Chloe would bring a very interesting eye to that community, um, which I think still needs more representation in films, despite those two pretty high profile indie movies. Um, so I'm excited to see what she does with Makari. And also in general, I'll be very honest. I like Lauren Ridloff as an actress. She's been one of my most anticipated parts of Eternal since she's been cast in it. Um, but I'm excited to see how Chloe does that. I'm interested to see how Chloe does humor, particularly with, I didn't write this in my notes, but, I don't think any of her movies are particularly very funny. And she has Kamal Nanjiani and um, Brian Tyree Henry. Henry. Yeah. Yeah. Who are both very funny people. And uh, I got to say, because I mentioned Brian Tyree Henry in Eternals, is a um, fall collection. Ikea. <laughs> but I'm curious how the other humor in the movie will play. Um, and maybe it will be something which, like we told Shang-Chi. She might be like, oh, I know these guys are funny. I'll just let them be funny. You know, like they both have improv at times. Yeah. Like, and I'm down for that. Some of the best jokes in the MCU have been improv. I'm just curious to see mm-hmm. how that breathes in the film and the um, tempo that Chow's films already have. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, I I think Eternals is going to be fantastic. And I'm excited to see how Zhao builds this story. Um, I'm really excited that she's taking new characters that you know we've not um seen before and it's on a these are characters of a massive scale um uh, feige has repeatedly stressed that this is on a universal level the eternals are on a universal level um so uh, i think 
that the earthbound stuff and the uh space um side of the of the MCU are going to blend a lot more with this film and I'm interested in seeing how Chloe Zhao does that how she how she brings those two um together a lot more Yeah, I agree. Now, would you guys rewatch any of the movies you watched today for this week? I would rewatch The Writer and maybe Nomadland. It would have to be a bit for Nomadland cuz I saw it twice this year. So, I would definitely rewatch The Rider. It's still probably one of my favorite films of like the last couple years. Um, Nomadland and Songs were, I'm sure I will get to them again in my lifetime, but I do not know when. Um, but that should not speak to the quality of them, just more of to my viewing habits. Hmm. I... I think I'll watch Nomadland. I don't don't know when, but uh, I think I'll watch it again. And then I have yet to watch Songs and The Writer, so I will definitely uh, look at those. And to, uh, with how you guys talked about uh, The Writer, yeah, I wasn't going to watch it, but now I will. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So hey. It's a g- really good movie. Really great. I, I, the first thing I said te- when I finished it is I texted Caleb. I was like, you're right. I should have watched this back when it came out. <laughs> I, was like, I missed out back then, but now I can enjoy it. So. All right. I think we are done now. Caleb, yeah. this is normally where we'd say pimp your stuff. Do you still want to? Yes, because okay. I have so much to pimp that I will pimp you some sure? stuff this week and some other stuff next week. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Caleb will be back uh, next week when we talk about Spider-Man 3. Um, did you listen to our Spider-Man 2 episode yet? Because we talked about you a bit in it. We talked mm-hmm. about you did. You can, re- you can respond to our criticisms next week. My <laughs> criticisms of you, personally. Well... <laughs> They also had nothing to do with my Spider-Man takes. They were all just about like my personal appearance and stuff. It was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look like uh, Bob Wells before he went gray. <laughs> I said that earlier. <laughs> I I I like I like uh, when when we talked about uh, Danny's like, oh hey Sarah, aren't you also part of another podcast? And she's like, uh yeah. And then he's like, and isn't there there's someone else? on there that's really cool and i was like yeah it's caleb and, and danny's Here like okay oh, okay he got me for me yeah <laughs> i got your back <laughs> well y'all can find me at caleb from the real world on instagram and youtube um and from there you can find my other podcasts i do one on star wars where every month me and two of my friends sit down and we just kind of joke around about star wars um, our November episode is about crossovers, and we do talk about Blade. We don't talk about any other part of the Marvel universe, but do we talk, talk about, about Blade the, uh, extensively. Infamous Indiana Jones comic. Uh, no? we kind of touch on it, but not explicitly. It's like in the oh, subtext. Okay. okay, good. Um, and if you enjoyed hearing me talk about movies, then you can check out my uh, podcast, Hot Trash Unlimited, where me and my roommate Joe go to movies to see whether or not they're going to be uh, enjoyably bad. You did an episode on Venom. <laughs> we did. Yes. Hey, hey. Uh, before we do our outro, I got to ask one more thing about your crossover episode, uh, which is, do you talk about... It's about Marvel. Don't worry, Tyler. 
you, so I'm assuming that the Parks and Rec monologue from Patton Oswalt does not come up where he they do meet the Avengers. Star Wars does meet the Avengers. <laughs> no, because we're we're talking about we're pitching our crossovers. Oh, okay, um, okay. So we okay. we literally have a like an app that will randomly give us a franchise, and then we have to come up with our pitch for it. Okay. Mm. Okay. Sounds cool. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why Is with Ty and Dan. We can be found on various podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, and on our website, whyiswithtydan.buzzsprout.com. You can also contact us by email at whyiswithtydan at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at whyiswithtyan1 because I am number one. You can also follow me, Danny Vincent, on Letterboxd at Blankments for reviews of movies, including those not directed by Chloe Zhao. We'd also like to thank Joe Schremer for editing this episode. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. All right. We will see you guys next week with the... The amazing, I could say the amazing because they never made an amazing Spider-Man 3. The amazing Spider-Man 3. (laughs) The return of the amazing bus chaser. So. (laughs) All right. See you then. (laughs) We'll catch you in the next one. Bye.